And so this is a prayer to the goddess Mataji, uh, which is representing abundance and trying to rid of scarcity mindset. But again, these lyrical songs, especially in English, are all typically mantras or simple repetitive phrases that are meant to take someone on a journey, whether it's around self-love, our fears and limiting beliefs, what we're saying yes or no to in our lives and creating that courage. So all these songs are very focused and curated on specific wisdom mantras and phrases that are meant to be embedded for someone in support uh, of their journey. The placebo effect is very powerful with all drugs, and it's particularly powerful in the case of psychedelics, which we impute so much magic and power to. We empower our experience by insisting on our authenticity. It's a wonderful thing to learn to be able to stand up and yell bullshit. Take psychedelics, not too often, <laughs> mostly mushrooms. Hello and welcome to Super Psychedelic. Today, we're joined by Tim Seiku. Tim exited his first tech startup in 2018 and then backpacked around the world for all of 2019. Tim is an eternal student on a mission of supporting the elevation of consciousness with heart-led leaders through intentional psychedelic experiences. And he loves creating self-funded, profitable businesses while advising, mentoring, and angel investing in meaningful companies that speak to his heart. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks, Peter. A pleasure to be on here and excited to chat. Awesome. So we, we talked briefly off air. Tim, tell us where you are in the world and why right now. <laughs> yeah, I smile every time I think about this right now, but I am currently living in Costa Rica. I frequently visited for the past few years, but uh, decided to make this a home base. And specifically, this location is um, a location called Reunion. Um, north of Tamarindo on the northwest side of Costa Rica. Uh, this place is special because it's actually a medicine center, uh, specifically an ayahuasca medicine center. I was able to meet the, uh, the founder and the owner um, uh, last year. And after he shared his vision, I actually told him that I too had a very similar mission and, and vision to support um, with my hands and, my, and sweat and tears on a physical land and what I thought was a campus. Uh, as this was received uh, to me from my second ayahuasca ceremony ever. And that was about four years ago. So through a lot of just flowing and surrendering to what I call surrendering to service has led me to this place uh, where I've envisioned almost four years ago in a ceremony. And now I have the pleasure and the honor to be able to live here on this land and uh, start getting my hands dirty and busy uh, to support others who feel called to this kind of work. Beautiful. And when you say, uh, you know, get dirty with your hands, are you talking, you know, you're doing gardening, things like that? You're, you're, you're actually in the muck and dirt? Uh, soon to be. Um, right now, one of my first projects is actually to help create and, and project manage um, a music and art studio on property. Um, so the idea is to be able to uh, have musicians and artists in the medicine world and the psychedelic world be able to come here, uh, maybe have some time to uh, be out here, be inspired, and and create some work and and art in that uh, in those studios. So 
that's what I mean by getting my hands dirty and soon to be uh, with the gardening, with just like moving stuff around, anything and everything from janitorial services, like <laughs> cleaning up purges to to supporting um, other other initiatives like the retreats they have here as well. That's great. I've noticed, uh, you know, there's a, there's obviously a few um, companies popping up and, and retreats popping up in Costa Rica. What's yeah. the what's the legal framework there? Why is it such a great location for this type of work? Yeah. So what I come to understand is that it is uh, decriminalized in terms of uh, ayahuasca specifically that I I work with, and we have um, other organizations like Rhythmia and Soltara that have been here for quite a few years that um, have started to show a lot of uh, benefits with this medicine and this work. Um, one of the beautiful things around um, Reunion is that they are looking to uh, capture data and research and submit it to the governments to show that you know this is not meant for tourist activity. Really, it's meant for deep healing work. And here's the information. There's a clinic on site. They're also contributing to a local um, clinic hospital uh, for the local area, town people to benefit from and be able to use as well. Um, so really, um, in combination with the decriminalization side of things, um, plus the continuous submission of data to, to the government, um, I think and hope that uh, Costa Rica will start to fully legalize this. But at, as of right now, it is not fully legalized in, in, the, in, in their constitution, let's say. Got it. Got it. Okay, so we know where you're at um, right now. I just want to take a couple of steps back and talk a little bit about how you got here, um, you know, we, we talked a little bit in the in the preamble, the intro about you know, tech investing and exiting your company. What's the story um, of how you got here? Like, talk a little bit about your background. Yeah, just to preface, I would say 20 years ago, me, at, so I'm 31, so 11-year-old me would have laughed if this was <laughs> where I'm at right now. And, my, and for sure, my mother, who I grew up with, would laugh uh, and, and be complete shock because this is not the path I ever presumed I would be on. But anyways, back when I was maybe five or six years old, I remember a conversation that I had with my mother in the back of a car, her car driving. She's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I wanted to either be the first Asian American president of the United States or um, a hotel manager. Uh, a hotel <laughs> manager because my mom... And I and our family really enjoyed family vacations. So I just thought bringing joy to that would be beautiful. Fast forward 20 years, uh, 30 years from now, I didn't realize I'd be in the hospitality industry. Uh, mm -hmm. that, that totally uh, took me uh, by surprise. Um, but uh, in, po in the political world, though, was also a very, um, very you know, ex excited path for me because I felt like I wanted to make my mother proud. Uh, she grew up, she raised me and my two older siblings as a single mother. Um, and I just wanted to make her proud. And at the same time, um, making her proud to me felt like solving problems. So I went down the political route uh, for a little bit, interning at different state senators and polit politicians offices to only realize that it was quite inefficient to the efficiency that I would uh, uh, have a standard for. So I asked myself what the next kind of best thing to do to solve problems would look like. And I was introduced to entrepreneurship. And so I studied entrepreneurship and business. Um, in my undergrad, and one of the semester projects was to uh, take an idea as far as I could for that semester. Well, seven years after that I graduated, I had still continued to run um, a startup that I uh, birthed in that class. And, um, you know, I bootstrapped it for about seven years. We grew it to about 40 people, good amount, chunk of revenue, and only to realize uh, for myself that I created that company completely out of ego out of uh, proving my self-worth, 
getting my mother's approval, which at the end of the day, we come to realize we've always had that or it was all within us. Uh, we may have just forgotten about that. But interestingly enough, during that period of time, as I was running the company and really feeling misaligned to that was when I was introduced to psychedelics, first LSD, then that kind of blew open my mind to then explore meditation and other modalities that were non-psychedelic, but would be able to fuse together really well. And in my meditation groups, I was then introduced to my first ayahuasca ceremony. And from then on, that was about four years ago. From then on, I was just so captivated. I was so humbled and so um, so much in reverence to this kind of medicine and to this kind of work. Um, personally, from my own experience, that I decided to devote myself uh, to this path. And it was in my second ayahuasca ceremony ever that I received that vision that I was mentioning earlier, um, that I was to contribute to what was what I understood as a physical campus of, alter- of alternative healing modalities. And we would bring facilitators, practitioners um, from around the world to be able to serve this kind of work. And so I've just sort of followed that path and by talking to people. And the North Star for me this whole time has been this three words, surrender to service. And if I really break that down, it's just really like when someone really needs help in, in, in building something and creating something, and it is full alignment with my path, my heart, my intuition, my higher self, um, then I just pour myself into it. There's no small, there's no task too small uh, for me. And so lo and behold, fast forwarding a little bit to this to present day, um, I now get to um, be part of a, a space, a physical space to help continue this work. And at the same time, um, on, this, uh, on my other side of things and uh, my other work is um, uh, co-hosting these ayahuasca uh, retreats and journeys through an organization called One Heart um, that is focused on leaders, entrepreneurs, creators, and introducing to them uh, this world of, of medicine to this world of consciousness exploration, et cetera, et cetera. So I can say from just how I've come to be, like there's this huge um, learning of what misalignment feels mm-hmm. like when when creating and, and, and hustling and going to now still contributing to things that i really love to to create but with a from a place of, of deep alignment and that um you know kudos on on building up the company uh bootstrapping um and getting Thank to that you. place that's a huge achievement um did the misalign realization and misalignment kind of coincide with the opportunity to sell the business it kind of synchronized up yeah, so the first kind of, I would attribute to my my understanding that it was misalignment through my psychedelic usage, right? Yeah. So uh, when I was introduced to LSD and I started to just kind of go on solo trips in the parks and in, in the in the in the mountains of San Francisco, um, I started to ask myself these tough questions of like, why am I really doing this? Um, what do I? What really makes me come alive, et cetera, et cetera. So that started to really birth that idea, and then um, really started to. Um, create the opportunities to to exit my company, to relieve myself of those responsibilities and um, go on and pursue what I felt was in more alignment. I wonder, it's it's interesting you say, you kind of talk about like the motivations for, for creating the company and you felt misaligned with that. You're doing it from an ego perspective. I wonder if it's possible or what whether you think it's possible to create big companies, large companies, large endeavors without having that drive uh, and that e- kind of ego there. I mean, we look at the kind of great entrepreneurs of our time, um, you know, pick any of these names, Elon Musk, um, yeah. you know, they clearly have something outside of that, that, you know, 
driven by uh, wanting to fix problems, but also there's an element yeah. of egoism in there as well. I, I wonder if that's kind of an ingredient that makes it necessary. And then second part of that question, you know, I've, al- I've always struggled with this. There's a kind of trope in entrepreneur, in, in kind of the entrepreneur land, like people do what they do. They make the money doing what they, you know, have done, let's say, Chamath um, with Social Capital now hates Facebook and then he went on to found so- Social Capital or, you know, in the agency world, it's advertising executives doing advertising, selling, making the money and then complaining about how advertising is, you know, ruining everybody's minds. And I, I, I just wonder whether, um, you know, that there's, there's a cycle there of whether people need to kind of experience that themselves or whether there's a little bit of hypocrisy there, and I'm not saying you're a hypocrite at all, of kind of going through this process, getting the kind of foundation of their life and then moving on to doing stuff that in, you know, in a way repairs some of that. Yeah, I love these questions. Um, I'll, I'll hit on the first one. Um, you know, what I always say is ego works and maybe up to a certain point. Um, just from my own experience where I got burnt out and I we hear and see and read all types of stories of burnout. And if someone has the grit and resilience to keep pushing that forward and bury that burnout, then so be it and kudos to them. And at the same time, I think somehow, somewhere along the way throughout their life, it will catch up and mm-hmm. it's going to show in their lifespan or, or, or just their health, et cetera, et cetera. So I think ego works and I think ego can be a beautiful uh, supporting uh, factor for growing something. Uh, but I think up to a certain point, um, there's an example, especially through One Heart, we introduced the book, The Surrender Experiment by Michael Singer. Uh, I think Michael Singer is a great example of an entrepreneur who um, who actually wasn't meant to be an entrepreneur. He, he said he was going to be a lifelong meditator and just started to be uh, out in the mountains and in the fields just meditating. And then I'll, I'll leave, I'll spare the details. But at the end of the book, you read that he built a publicly listed, uh, I think, billion dollar IPO company in the healthcare space in the mm-hmm. forests of Gainesville, Florida. And so to read that story and just see the possibility, I'm not even saying that that's the formula for making that happen, because I think every person's journey will, will take into certain areas. Uh, but to see that possibility, I think, uh, allows me and others to question uh, mm-hmm. is there a different way that, that feels in more alignment, feels in more peace, or just like, you know, something more flow uh, in, 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 in our business creations. Yeah. Um, to the second point of what you mentioned there, um, look, I, I, I played the game too. I played the Monopoly game. Uh, and I think many will continually play the Monopoly game. And I hope um, people will then realize, you know, or at least just question, what is it all for? And I think mm-hmm. that's for everyone's own um, uh, perspective to answer. But for me, in my experience, when I asked the what, what's it all for, it really, it really mm-hmm. made me question the hard things. Yeah, And so that's what allowed me to at least just kind of awaken to like what it is that I feel most excited about uh, to, to pour my energy into. That being said, those who are in the advertising world or in the tech world and contributing to this, you know, I, I just say like energetically and just like, you know, spiritually just saying like, hey, like kudos for you to, to succeed with that. And, you know, if and when you feel like your journey gets to go a different way. Let's talk or let's, let's introduce these other modalities, but I don't think there's anything um, shameful for them to, to go through that just because myself, I went through that and mm-hmm. was able to receive the gift of the medicine and these other experiences to help me um, find what makes sense for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think to, to the first point, um, I really like the expression, uh, the, the body keeps the score, uh, certainly mm-hmm. with, you know, burnout. Um, you can mentally think 
that you can push through this stuff and you 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 probably can for a while but after a certain point i think the kind of you you'll get that kick back but i also think you know that that probably applies to energy and spirit in many ways mm. as well you can kind yeah, of holistically yeah you can kind of stare into the ego void and use it for a while but ultimately that's going to come back and there's going to be a cost there to your kind of spirit energy whatever you want to call it Absolutely. it's probably why you see you know incredibly wealthy billionaires that have nominally won the game of life in terms of yeah. monopoly but yeah. they're hugely miserable yeah and I, I i've met some of them i've supported some of them through these journeys and, and ceremonies and it's those are the types of people i love to work with you know just because they have the resources to direct some beautiful shifts and changes and impact and it's just really giving them the opportunity to look into the depths of their own shadows, have the courage to face them and ask the hard questions, and ultimately have the courage to make a different uh, shift or different um, direction in their lives. And, um, you know, for me, one of my bigger hopes and intentions is um, first starting off with, you know, these well-respected business folks and, and CEOs and entrepreneurs and even the billionaires that, that, that I've met, and hopefully get to the politicians of the world and, 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 and imagining them to be able to sit in this kind of work, which I don't think is that far off, um, quite frankly. And, um, and I think just, yeah, introducing this work to them, um, with these people who have high, high influence, uh, could, could create some magic in the world. Mm -hmm. I, I almost see like a, a future where psychedelic experiences are, are like buds in, in the Marines, you know, basic training you'd go through go through a week-long training. <laughs> yeah, Graham, Graham Hancock said this the best, where it's like every politician should at least have gone through 12 ceremonies before they go into office. Mm -hmm. Just because I think it, it builds, it, it's, it, you know, if I dive a little bit deeper into that, I think it, it stretches and works out the muscle of self-inquiry, mm -hmm. um, staring at the ego, looking at our shadows, um, and even, albeit like looking at our wounds that we may be subconsciously making decisions from and just stretching and working out that muscle, I think could, could benefit uh, these, these policymakers. Has any politician talked openly about psychedelic usage that you can think of? We've all, we've all seen the examples of politicians saying, you know, I tried marijuana in college, but I didn't inhale. But I wonder if there's a, a parallel for psychedelics. I certainly haven't seen one in the UK. I haven't uh, heard any politician openly speak about that. Um, however, I, I, I do know under the wraps that there are some that are curious, mm. um, maybe not in the White House, but like governors or uh, state state uh, politicians. I've, I've heard through the grapevine that are starting to explore that, but I uh, haven't heard any openly uh, speak about that yet. Mm -hmm. In due time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then just, just staying on the kind of the... Uh the business trajectory. Talk to me a sure. little bit about what you enjoy working on now. I know there's kind of angel investing. What do you look for from that perspective? Sure. Yeah, I think part of my own medicine work and this this path has uh, allowed me to see, and we hear it a lot, like energy. I mean, money is energy. And, uh, and it's just kind of like a fuel to the fire. So where do we want to point that towards? And so for me, when I see it that way, I think a lot about, um, you know, one is what what fascinates me is just you know the, in layman terms it's exploring self uh, uh, exploring consciousness exploration, um, but you know diving a little deeper is just expanding self awareness 
And so practices and companies and, 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 and products that are supporting that, I would love to, to support that with. Um, and beyond that, I've started to uh, realize a bent towards um, food organizations that are looking at just uh, more sustainable options. Mm. These are plant-based meats. Um, like I'm, I turned vegetarian about five years ago and I still um, miss like the, the, the meat component of meals, but I don't, I haven't touched a piece of meat for almost five years. Um, but I, I love the, the innovation that's coming out with uh, plant-based meats and, and, and more healthier options of plant-based meats uh, to, to create that sustainable option there. So uh, those are kind of the two um, buckets I love to, to angel invest in. Um, so again, exploring um, self-awareness, self-inquiry, exploration on consciousness, whether it's through psychedelics as well as one component of that, um, but also sustainability uh, in terms of food options um, mm. and just um, and even incorporating good sustainable practices in any business. So one of them is a travel bag company, but this travel bag company really sees himself sees themselves as the only bag you would ever need for quite some time, so we don't have to keep re- uh, repurchasing more items, et cetera, et cetera. So th- those are the sort of two buckets I, I look at. Yeah, the the alternative meat space is, is is really fascinating. I suspect that we'll probably see a continuation of the Beyond Meat style kind of uh, alternative. Um, yeah. But from what I've read, it's not always the most healthy in terms of what Correct. they what they put in there. You're kind of you're getting rid of the Correct. meat from an ethical perspective, but they're packing it with palm oil and things like that. Exactly. I'm really so interested yeah, I, in like the Memphis meat, or I think they've rebranded recently, but hmm. you know, they make kind of, they take stem cells and then they grow meat. So it's real meat yeah. without the suffering. Yeah. I think that's, that gets really interesting. I haven't really delved in too much around that, um, but I'm curious to see how that comes out. I will say that I'm seeing more, um, more healthier mm-hmm. plant-based meat options come out. Um, I forget what primary ingredient, um, but I just found one company that is um, not using, you know, unhealthy ingredients, but more so focused on, I think, um, man, I can't, I can't fully remember, but the point is um, uh, they're actually going after the, the deli meat markets. Mm. And so they're not necessarily going to B to C they're going B to B, but like think about the deli meat market, right. And how much meat is sold there. They've found that like, more people eat sandwiches than burgers on a, mm-hmm. on a on a U.S. level. So you start targeting those, you start changing just behaviors or just opening up new perspectives. And I think that's what I'm most interested in. I'm not ex- I'm not saying that I want everyone in the world to be vegetarian or vegan, but just more so um, exploring different options to continually sustain um, this planet. So that's what I get most excited about. Yeah, for for me, I think ultimately we we probably should be eating less meat i think I, I kind of agree i think sam harris makes some pretty good points on on this subject i think you know most most meat eaters live in this kind of permanent state of recognizing your own hypocrisy where we know we could live without as much meat um in our lives but we you know we we enjoy it um and then you know you can for me i try and prioritize better quality meats, um, you know, grass fed, you know, small, small scale kind of farming, regenerative agriculture, things like that. But, you know, ultimately it's hard to get beyond the killing of animals um, and causing suffering for your sustenance when you don't have to. 
Um, but equally, the the you know there there isn't great alternatives. I don't think we're going to convince you know the vast majority of people to stop eating meat unless Correct. we have uh, quality alternatives that taste very similar. Yeah, so I was just researching real quickly uh, the one I was mentioning in the company. I, this was just one that I recently went in on on a, some some money. Um, is their their prime ingredient is fungi. Um, mm. So if people are looking at fungi. I mean, we're seeing fungi being used in so many different aspects, but fungi as a as a um, prime ingredient for for plant based meat, I think is fascinating. And of course, sure. their 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 mission is not about changing everyone to vegetarian, but more so just being able to still celebrate the culture of meat, but uh, for the sake of the planet, not necessarily ruining that. Right. So, right. so I think just beautiful innovation still continually happening, and of course. Like you mentioned, not only the quality, but the taste has to be on par to even uh, allow people to start making some shifts. And I, yeah. think this, I think that's the key thing, at least for now, taking that first step, making some shifts. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think I've read about that one too. I think they use mycelium um, and a, a bunch of stuff. Um, I think mushrooms just generally are a good replacement in a burger. Like yeah. I'll, I'll occasionally do like a portobello, nice marinated mushroom in a burger and it, it tastes great. That's like a meaty type of mushroom. And actually, I just started trying different um, versions of uh, fungi or mushroom jerky. Mm. And I think that's such an interesting um, innovation there too, right? Like, again, as a meat, as a very aggressive meat eater, and when I'm my younger days and switching out, I was like, man, I do miss jerky, but there's just no good jerky that that will uh, that will suffice my my needs. And when I started <laughs> to hear about mushroom jerky, I was like, wow, that's that's clever. Yeah, jerky's a hard itch to scratch. It's a uh, <laughs> very particular, delicious taste. But exactly. yeah, I've heard I've heard the mushroom stuff is is coming on leaps and bounds. So um let's talk a little bit about our, our mutual passion of of music. Um mm. and it's super important for you. What got you started uh, in the world of music? Yeah, so just to preface again, like I did not grow up with, with music in the in the most basic terms. Like I grew up with music classically trained. So like mm. music to me from a perspective was like, uh, this is like uh, an obligation or just like a, a skill to just have in the back of my hands, right? So I played piano when I was young and just got so classically trained, all the music theory, everything was just so like rigid for me. And um, I think that led, left maybe subconsciously a bad taste of music. So I never listened to any pop music, top 40 music, hip hop, any of that until my brother gave me a disc with like 150 songs. And I listened to the first time and I just couldn't put it down because I was like, what is all this music? Um, and that was close to high school when I really started mm. to listen to music. So I deprived myself of music for quite some time in terms of the, the, typical, the typical terms. Um, but when I think about music now, um, it's very particular, and this type of music I think a lot about is, um, in, in layman terms, medicine music, but the way I kind of think about it is just um, healing music that's really uh, directive in a psychedelic experience. So I started to really dabble into this world just two years ago, two, three years ago, when I was in my ceremonies, and I was in the depths of my shit, and music was being played either on the guitar on the hand panned, on the kalimba, which is a finger piano, on a shruti box, which is an in ancient instrument from India. And I'm just like, holy F, like what is going on? Like I'm, like fractals were showing up and like I was bringing, I was brought to certain memories and I was just like, wow, this music is so, can be so directive um, and, 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 and take you to, to places. 
And as I step into this world more, I'm like, well, I would love to contribute to that. So that's what I've been really focusing my time on, which is like, not only learning different instruments and playing them in a in a in a container like a ceremony container perspective, but also um, starting to take vocal lessons and vocal mm. classes um, to kind of uh, train that up. And uh, ultimately, my hope is really just to contribute songs and music and vibrations in a ceremonial setting. Um, part of my favorite memories is when I'm singing or sharing songs or vibrations someone is purging i love that because it's just something is moving through them yeah and mm -hmm. the music is really activating something and i just think that that could be so helpful um or it brought someone to tears or it brought someone to a certain memory that they've repressed for so long like just music in itself like that can 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 support that that humbles the crap out of me that i get so mm. excited to continually um expand and learn and cultivate that skill set yeah, we've talked about um, music and psychedelic experiences a few times on the show. Uh, we're lucky mm -hmm. enough to interview uh, Wave Paths, who are doing some fascinating yes. work. Um, yes. You know, to you, what makes a good a good vibe for a psychedelic experience? But equally, I'm I'm curious about: Have you ever had like you know someone's really fucking killing the vibe right now? Like, what is this noise type experience? Like, what is a good what is a good way to set the scene, and what is a bad way? Yeah, and and I've I've heard Mendel talk a few times in different uh, conferences, so I really respect their work. Um, what I'm going to come from is very much in my own experience in the ceremonial setting. Um, these underground medicine ceremonies that that I've been a part of for quite quite a few years now. Um, I would say uh, what makes a great um, uh, setting and vibe is, and what I've realized is uh, the voice. Like I, 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 and of course, we, this is obvious, but it's even more sensitive in a in a ceremonial setting when you're in an altered state, and so the voice has just been such a key thing of like being in tune, keeping consistency, keeping a rhythm. That is so key, so that the mind doesn't go like, "Oh, that sounds weird," and then takes you out of your journey. Versus, it's just like a magic carpet ride that's about to take you onto a journey into into the, into the celestial realm. Mm -hmm. um what makes a, a uh, maybe not so great uh vibe i would say is just lack of attunement so um what i mean by that is um especially in the preparation sessions or even in the great integration sessions before between ceremonies i think the the role of the, of the musician or the facilitator is to really listen to what are the key words what are people going through what are people facing um what are people feeling and then be able to kind of scan through our own library of songs that we know and then bring those uh, bring those specific songs up. Mm -hmm. um, and the beauty of this, and the challenge that I see myself as an upcoming aspiring musician, is to to cultivate this library of amazing songs. Um, not only you know with beautiful wisdom, but to be able to like build the skill set and and be able to deliver it in a very harmonious, uh, elegant way as well. So that's what I see as my consistent, lifelong opportunity and challenge uh, ahead of me. But um, going back to that main point, it's like being attuned um, or lack of attunement could create this 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 jarring experience where you're just like, why is this song being shared? Mm -hmm. It has no relevance to to the overall collective group. And so just scanning through our own library of these songs and bringing them up at the most um, divine or perfect timing for in the ceremony, um, I think can make or break uh, an experience for someone. And I've seen that happen uh, a lot of times as well. Yeah, I bet there's like there's a really interesting kind of friction point because musicians obviously are playing 
for people, um, you know, and if you're a professional musician, typically, you know, stage, you're kind of, you're driving, but in these experiences, you're really kind of, you're playing a supporting role. You're kind of adjacent yeah. to it and you're kind of feeling what people are feeling and kind of supporting that experience rather than kind of set, trying to set too much of the, the tone pushing yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, one other one other humbling perspective I I practice myself, and this could be helpful for some of the listeners, is that, um, you know, I think especially in this world in ceremony work and medicine, music, and all that stuff, um, like you said, it is really in service to to them. Um, at the same time, I I, I usually um, really try to put myself in a perspective of um, I myself as a body as a human being is just a vessel for the medicine to speak through me through the words and wisdom of the song. Um, so these medicine songs obviously are equipped with so much beautiful wisdom and mantras and things that we could repeat to ourselves that just clicks for us and just exp- mind expands us to, to beautiful places. And at the same time, I just humble myself to be like, okay, I'm just a vessel uh, uh, that can actually speak out voices or sing a voice mm-hmm. for the medicine. And when I put myself in that perspective, yeah, it's, I don't see myself as a musician trying to be in the spotlight, right? I see myself as just a, a being that so happens to have loved this song learned it, um, excelled at it. And then just to be able to deliver that in service for someone's breakthrough, for someone's unraveling of their own, uh, shadows or memories that they have repressed. Yeah. It's almost more like, uh, a DJ than a performing musician in yeah, many ways. Well, kind of, you've got that relationship curating. to the people. Yeah. You're, you're kind of, you're curating, uh, but well you're said. facilitating the ritual that is dancing on the floor and you can, you know, drop a track that, completely empties the floor and is kind of creates a lot of friction and a really interesting kind of communal friction as well. I mean, there's this kind of hive mind reaction to it. And then I bet, you know, like with DJs as well, they have like five, five songs in their back pocket that are like, if this happens, bring it out in an emergency, we'll, we'll drop this banger. I'm sure there's like psychedelic experience bangers. Like, okay, we, we know we I can drop that. this one. <laughs> well said. I agree with that. There are, there are definitely some, some back pocket songs that I know are very applicable and very, various many mm. situations so i do agree with that yeah i like that what about um you know tone and rhythm and pace mm-hmm. um you know how do you how do you think about that throughout the experience let's let's focus in on specifically ayahuasca um yeah. you know what what is the experience there and how do you set that kind of that that rhythm and tone and pace throughout the experience yeah this is something i've been actively currently um, studying and learning and asking questions from my, my teachers. Um, one of the beautiful perspectives he gave, one of my teachers has given me is almost kind of see the container of our voice and singing as a playground and experiment. Obviously practice a lot through the experimentation, but experiment. So think of it like a full spectrum from one side to the other, where you have volume of soft to loud to fast to slow tempo to um, the pitch of how high you can go and how low you want to go. And so I've been realizing that in, in these songs and, and music that I share, like I can deliver it no problem, even monotonously if I really could, wanted to. But the challenge and the opportunity is to create an art, a full spectrum, a roller coaster of, of rhythm, tone, volume, uh, et cetera, et cetera, that has been so fun to examine. So for example, you know, one song I'm currently learning right now, I'll start super slow and soft and almost a whisper and maybe just, maybe even just saying it versus actually singing it. 
then I'll speed it up. I'll increase the volume. I'll even hold a note for a longer period of time. And I'm just realizing all these variables that you can create in in this ceremony container um, actually is immensely, immensely um, uh, supportive for a participant. And what I mean by that is some songs like I even dragged on even, even, you know, on a Spotify recording, it's only repeating once or twice. Maybe I'll, I'll drag it on for five, maybe even 10 times too, because the whole point in, in what I've understood in sharing these music and if I just break it down I, in sharing these vibrations is to really activate a journey for them. So all variables, so many variables can activate a journey for them, including length of, of the song. So yeah, these are just all the variables I'm playing with. And, and, and it brings me so much joy to be like, you know, one time I'm singing it one night is com- going to be completely different than how I mm-hmm. sing it the other night. Um, because I'm, I'm attuning to where people are at, or I'm feeling what people are going through or hearing what their, what their integration shares have been like. And then I'll maybe even stand next to them. Right. And there's, mm-hmm. you know, location of where you sing and share these vibrations is, it's critical. So I'll stand next to them or I'll whisper to them or I'll make eye contact with them. Um, so yeah, all these different variables makes it so fascinating because it's like less of like a typical musician just, um, you know, performing. And this is like a, again, a vessel that is just imparting wisdom to people and ideally activating um, a journey for them. And are these, you know, I'm fascinated by the the, the singing component um are these kind of vocalizations or are you singing words and and lyrics and i guess if there are any of the second you'd probably want to avoid like one of the things you know we talked with wave pathways with this kind of idea of familiarity being distracting and kind of things that can kind of pull you out and so you actively try and you know create music that is different to what people have heard before you don't necessarily want things that can kind of bring people through so are these kind of more vocalizations and, and sounds versus words? So most of my songs are lyrical words, um, albeit those most of them are in Spanish. Mm. And I've been learning some songs in Sanskrit as well. So obviously they don't, I mean, many, not all, not all but many won't understand um, the words. So they're just listening to the, the, the vibrations and, and the, the instrument there. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are, you know, a few library songs that I have um, that are meant to be in English. And mm-hmm. I do activate some of them sometimes because it's to help balance um, some people who are like, man, I wish I could just understand and they might be in that world. Um, but again, these lyrical songs, especially in English, are all typically mantras mm. or simple repetitive phrases that are meant to take someone on a journey, right? Whether it's around self-love, whether it's around like our fears and limiting beliefs, whether it's around like what we're saying yes or no to in our lives, um, and creating that courage. So all these songs are very focused and curated on specific wisdom mantras and phrases that are meant to be embedded for someone in support uh, of their journey. Mm. Do you have an a- example? I'm I'm not saying you have to kind of do a full performance, but <laughs> <laughs> I would love to hear like an example of what the words are and these kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. equally like to me, what does, uh, what does, you know, Sanskrit sound like? I'd love to hear that. Yeah, so the English version song that I just thought about that I've been um, sharing a lot more is inspired by another medicine woman um, uh, in the space. Um, but the phrase is, I am forever remembering that everything is here to teach me how to love. And you just repeat that over and over for the whole song. And I might wow. sing it for five minutes, right? But it's that constant repetitive nature of I am 
forever remembering that everything is here to teach me how to love. And wherever they are in their journeys, if they just recite them to, to recite, recite that to themselves, I could probably guarantee that some light bulb is going to click like, oh my God, oh my goodness, like I've been approaching this in a whole different way. Like what if I approached it from just understanding that this is really to humble myself and teach me how to love more, how mm -hmm. to love more expansively and something will click for them. Um, with Sanskrit, um, there's a song that I've learned um, and I'll just kind of recite it here, I guess. It's... Um, and so this is a prayer to the goddess Mataji. Uh, which is representing abundance and 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 trying to rid of scarcity mindset. And so these are just prayers in a, in a different language um, to to cultivate that. And I'll combine that with a drum. I'll combine that with the shruti box. I'll combine that maybe with a shaker and give it some rhythm. Um, mm. So these instruments now become just another variable that you can add a layer on that um, gets someone to start dancing, get someone to start shaking, possibly get someone to start purging. And that those, all these variables start to fascinate me when you combine them together. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, what about in terms of, um, you know, let's call it act in this, you know, approximately, what would you say a kind of experience where you're actively there, like 10 hours, nine hours, something like that, or about like seven there... hours ish on average seven hours. So, you know, what does that look like? How do you break up those, yeah. you know, quote unquote acts and what, what music plugs into each act? Yeah. So obviously each teacher will be different, but what I've seen uh, a, a theme around these teachers is obviously first when we open the ceremony, it's about um, a, a prayer to open the space, to call in for protection, call in for guidance, um, call in the plant spirits, call in the animal spirits, um, to, to support us in this container. Um, they'll use mapacho, which is sacred tobacco, to help uh, protect people by blowing it on their um, heads. They'll blow it on the medicine to clean and cleanse that. Um, and we'll sage the whole space. So just really opening up for like protection, I would say. Mm -hmm. And then, like that's the first phase. Um, and then secondly, after the medicine has been poured and served to everybody, what I see then as a, as a consistent theme is opening up the, the space with Ikaros. Um, and these are chants from indigenous tribes. And these specifically are typically coming from the plants. Um, and, and these people who learn these Ikaros uh, learn from these plants by going through something called a dieta. And that's actually something I'm about to head to in Peru in about two weeks. Not to go learn Ikaros necessarily, but to connect with the plants and to receive uh, wisdom from them. So Ikaros are typically chants, um, or it could be lyrical songs. Um, but these are typically directly from their dieta experiences, which are typically in isolation and they're dieting with a plant and uh, to receive a message from them and then possibly turn it into an ikaro. So about an hour or so period of time as after people uh, consume the medicine, uh, they'll share ikaros. And it was af it's after that that um, they'll offer a second cup uh, to kind of go deeper if people haven't been feeling that. And then that's when they'll start opening up uh, for instruments but typically only instrumental. So no lyrics mm -hmm. and just starting to introduce music through um, vibrations of instruments. Um, and this could be through the hand pan, 
uh, a shaker, a kalimba, or all these different types of instruments. Um, and then about 30 minutes after that, they'll start introducing um, words and lyrics. Um, and typically it's in Spanish. Um, and then afterwards, they'll invite me, at least from my experiences, to start sharing some songs in English to help balance uh, that. So so that kind of drags on to the rest of the, of the ceremony. And then to close, um, usually uh, a quick check-in of where everyone's at, make sure they kind of land back onto this planet and Earth. And then um, maybe sometimes people can share a word of gratitude from their experience, nothing long. And then they'll close the whole container and ceremony with a final prayer um, to, to kind of make sure everyone feels good. Um, maybe sometimes they will even go around the circle uh, with, their, with something called a chikapa, uh, which are a bunch of leaves kind of huddled together to do a limpia, which is a cleanse um, with the agua de florida, which is um, a liquid that they put on there to kind of help cleanse. And it smells amazing. But they'll help cleanse um, kind of any residual spiritual um, ex- excess things on us. Um, by the end of the of the ceremony. So that's kind of an overview of, of what that ceremony would look like. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, and then the in, instrument choices. I, I mean, is it all kind of, is it all what they sound like or are there kind of reasons for choosing certain instruments that are, you know, let's say have ancient, you know, history behind them versus more modern instruments? Yeah, I see all various types. Um, um, I would say again, it's around the attunement, and I wouldn't. I've seen a pattern of like not heavy, heavy activation instruments right off the gate. Uh, maybe something more melodic, like um, sound bowls, crystal mm-hmm. bowls, meditation bowls in the beginning. Something soothing and still in terms of the of the different um, tones, and then um, slow, so slowly but surely to start to build up um, to the point where I've seen didgeridoos get played mm. you can imagine how that would sound in, in an altered state um but then even like going around the curve after the climax going declining with um uh, orchestrated music so like classical music mm. like a cello like I, i've heard a cello in in ceremony before and i'm just like jesus this is so beautiful mm-hmm. um, so all various instruments but i would say in general all i think is fair play but i think it's really again crafting that journey and attuning to like where people are at that will help really um, expand that experience for them. It's fascinating. Is there a history of ayahuasca usage in Costa Rica itself, or did this kind of migrate up more recently? I would say it's probably more migrated up. I don't have exact history footnotes uh, on that, but what I've come to understand is um, it's probably been more brought in um, mm-hmm. from, from either tribes or even expats that have yeah. started uh, centers here. Most of the centers here in Costa Rica are, are run by expats. So that's my presumption that a lot of uh, medicine activity was brought to Costa Rica from the expat um, community. Cool. Okay, I'd love to talk about now um, your work at One Heart. Um, you know, sure. We've talked talked a little bit about it um, before. You know, really fascinating um, I think it's also fascinating because it's it's really focused on this idea of bettering the well. You're working with, you know, you, you know we've spoken a little bit about the healing work. Um, of course, there's a lot going on there as well. But the, the focus is really, you know, optimizing, improving. How do we get yeah. more out of these kind of personal performance and self-growth? You know, what's the, 
and you've obviously guided an enormous amount of these, um, you know, I, I don't know if you can put a number on it, but let's say hundreds of ceremonies um, of, of these kind of driven people. What have you learned from doing that? And are there any themes that you're seeing with the with these people that you're that you're working with? Yeah. So I love that you first preface that, you know, I always say like one heart is really focused on the bettering of the well, whereas there's a lot of amazing companies and clinics and therapists helping of the curing of the sick. Uh, their PTSD, depression, anxiety, trauma, et cetera, et cetera. That being said, there is definitely elements of that that emerge in our experiences in our containers, but that's not necessarily the focus. I think a lot of the focus is around, um, maybe the word is optimizing, I, we call it like elevating our lives mm-hmm. in more alignment, um, in, in in a place of more fulfillment. Um, you know, Myself included and the two other founders have all played the monopoly game only to come up short of, of fulfillment. And I understand that that could be also a play, uh, you know, a, a nice place to where we were, we're in nice places to say that. Um, however, I think there's still something to, to look at in terms of our fulfillment. So, uh, yeah, we've been running these for about four years now. Um, we're just about to start our 13th cohort in about three, four days from now. Um, and so prepping that up and that's led to around 400 to 500 folks that have come mm. through uh, this experience. And actually our CEO, Brennan, just recently released an article of sort of the five lessons after guiding around 400 to 500 people on these ayahuasca ceremonies. And I'd love to just share some of them on here. And obviously I completely uh, resonate and agree with. So the number one first theme that we've seen and lesson that we've learned is that leaders often suffer greatest from a lack of self-love, from a lack of self-love. And what we mean by this is, you know, we, I, another way we kind of put it is like the depth of love we can give to others is directly correlated to the depth of love that we give to ourselves. Um, otherwise, we may be giving conditional love. Right? I give you this, then I expect this back. So um, a lot of our core uh, lessons and, and, and messages and wisdom we pass off is around um, how we can cultivate self-love more because we believe and we've seen it over and over that um, the more self-love we can we can we can give to ourselves and, or, and feel for ourselves, um, the more um, alive we feel, the more excitement we show up in the world, the kindness and the compassion we give to to others around us. So, I myself am still on a journey of this. I thought I had learned a lot of this, but even just the past two three months after a, uh, a separation from my partner, I started to understand new layers and, and, and depth of what self-love meant. And for me during this, just this experience, just real quickly is like self-love is almost kind of like, kind of imagine the person you've like fell in love with so deeply in your past, like someone you could just put at the pedestal of like, Oh my God, I love this person. This could be a, a romantic person or even a family or a friend. Um, and, and treat yourself like you treated them with all, all your resources, all your energy, all your presence, et cetera, et cetera, but directly to yourself. And um, that's what I've been practicing. And that has been such a game changer. So yeah, number one is a lot around um, the greatest leaders we've seen suffer from from a lack of self-love. And the I second one... The, the quick, quick question on that. Um, you know, how do you... Actually, you know what? Let's go through the list and then I'll, I'll, I'll take notes and then we'll, we'll circle back on some yeah. stuff. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go a little quicker on these other ones. Uh, the second one is uh, it is rare for our work to be in true alignment and integrity with our highest self. And so what we mean by this is 
typically, um, and, and then myself was very much uh, a, a part of this, uh, this point here is, um, you know, we, we start companies or we build things because um, we were conditioned a certain way to go hustle um, or um, we were told to uh, make stuff happen. So we just started to go and go after it. Um, and what we've seen is that a lot of that behavior and conditioning just comes from a place of safety. Um, it feels safe to do something that we understand or just told versus veering off a different path, which is a cor- more courageous, in my opinion, to question what it is that we feel most in alignment with. And the point of integrity is just really ex- examining um, uh, is, is our actions and what we're creating in integrity to our hearts, to ourselves that we feel most excited about. So that's number two. And well, maybe we can leave the article in the footnotes for people to kind of dive mm-hmm. deeper into yeah, these if feel yeah. to. The third one is uh, most people lack friends and community that truly support them. And we've seen probably the number one thing that we, that the guests come out of this experience after the medicine, obviously, is the community of people who we call the conscious curious, but also grounded executioners. And I love that intersection of people because not only can we, quote, get shit done and, and, and gift beautiful services and solutions to the world, which is what you and I speak a language of, but also consciously curious of like, you know, what is in what what is in fullest alignment for us? What is in the highest integrity for us? Um, do we have people that, um, that speak this language as well that uh, feels really supportive for our journey? The fourth one is joy is an emotion we suppress far too often along with the rest of them. And so what we mean by, by this is kind of think about the, the word hustle. Um, uh. You know, hustle is very synonymous with entrepreneurship and, and the grind. And a lot of times the hustle is... Um, uh, sort of like a compromise for joy. And so what we've seen and just what I've personally experienced as well is like, sure, we can still maybe hustle or, or what I use the word is more alignment. Um, but when we align, we can still pour our energy into something, but that's because we love it and we want to, and it actually brings us joy. And so that's number four. And then the fifth one, the last one, which is one of my favorite ones, is the number one fear is neither death nor failure. It is success. And what, I'm, what we mean by this is um, we've seen a lot of entrepreneurs that after they've succeeded, they've exited, they've, they've won the Monopoly game, they're scared shitless because they're like, holy crap, what do I do next? Like everything was so planned out already because I knew I needed to grind and do this that I would hit that. But like once they hit there, like what now? And that was the same question I asked myself, the founders have asked themselves. And so it's almost kind of like awakening to this responsibility um, when we get to that finish line that like success was probably very scary, scary for us. Cause once we hit that, there's no, um, excuse, uh, or blame, uh, towards others now of our lack of joy or lack of fulfillment in our lives. It is us. And typically we, we hit that stage when we hit that success monopoly win game, kind of like what you mentioned where there's a lot of billionaires who won that game of monopoly, but just come up short of, of, of joy and that happiness. And so uh-huh. that's what we've positioned as like, yeah, that fear is really not death or failure, it's that success because then it it puts the responsibility on us now, right? It, there's no way to point the finger of like, well, I just got to do this and so that's going to buy me more time or I can distract myself with that. It's really like once we hit that success, we really have to stare ourselves in the mirror and be like, all right, what is it that we really want in our lives uh-huh. now because we've, we've, we've achieved that. So I'll pause there. Those are some of the big themes that we've we've taken away. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, now the the final point I think is 
I mean, all of those 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 points were you know, incredibly insightful. But the the final point, I I can't remember the guy's name. He had a great interview. Wrote a book on the occult, um, but he also wrote a great book on on the outside. And he talked a lot about this this kind of you know peak experience um, that we have when we're we're working on things, when we're doing things, we're up against challenges. Uh, we're in this kind of all systems go state, um, and then. But we have this idea that just over the edge of the horizon, the destination is once I get there and once I've kind of conquered these things, I'm eventually going to be ha happy. And of course, we get to this destination and we're not fully happy. And I think, you know, there's a couple of probably reasons why. First off, you know, I think we we pour a lot of we pour a lot of focus into things that we think we can extract, you know, existential meaning from that ultimately don't. I think we expect a lot from our work life when that may or may not, you know, be the thing that generates all of this kind of existential meaning. But also I think, you know, we are, we do like the challenges and the journey and we've got to learn to appreciate, certainly mm -hmm. of entrepreneurs, that that journey is where we're going through. It's not just about the destination. Right. The, the, the author, um, he talked about, you know, in what in in war we often find this. Um, you know, soldiers. You know, albeit they're in an incredibly hard situation. You know, they 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 often you know have this sense of you know complete freedom and commitment and community um, whilst they're at this. And then when they're extracted out of this stuff, they all of a sudden kind of feel a kind of bereavement for that singular focus and that challenge and that working on it and that community. Mm -hmm. And there's something really interesting there with, with human psychology, where we, we like that all system. We need that, that journey. And we need to get out of this idea that, you know, I'll sell my company and then I'll be happy. I'll do this. Then I'll be happy. I'll achieve X. And then I'll be happy to really embrace that kind of that, that journey and the experience. Totally agree. Yeah. And I think that's what that last point is really calling out. It's just like uh, inviting the opportunity to um, change that story of like, okay, it's when I hit this that I'll be happy and really starts to put the onus and responsibility in that present moment to be like, you can create that happiness now, um, but you may just be avoiding it because there's some fear uh, masking that too. So yeah, I really like mm -hmm. that point. Mm -hmm. And just, just going back to the, to the first point about self-love i think is really valuable um how do you cultivate a sense of you know just some kind of building blocks for uh, self-love and then you know is there a difference between or you know how do we avoid getting to the place where that self-love becomes narcissism you know or mm -hmm. you know we're, we're pouring so much attention on ourselves that you know we're not thinking about others etc etc like is there is there a break point how do we cultivate that healthy sense of love and respect without it veering into that kind of egoistic side yeah um i think it really comes down to the intention that we set for ourselves to practice self-love right so um i know that a lot of the leaders that we've worked with and entrepreneurs are have that story that self-love is narcissistic and so it's just so it's so far-fetched for them to even consider that and i think in those times when our intention is to um, be curious with self-love and, and almost um, start to create boundaries and communicate that very clearly with those folks, um, I think that those are beautiful opportunities to practice that. Maybe the, the, the line is crossed when 
um, it starts to, you know, bleed into um, hurting others, for lack of a better word. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And I would say very few times have I seen examples of self someone practicing self-love hurting others. But in case there's a there's a caveat there or an exemption there, uh, mm-hmm. you know, being being mindful of, of 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 really what we what we label as self love that actually harms someone, I think, could be crossing that boundary. Um, and I guess just a really crude example that I can think of is like, you know, I I love myself so much that you know you're talking down on me, so I'm gonna you know punch you in the face because that's my act of self. But I think that's just, you know, a facade there. So I think mm-hmm. as long as um, the intention is pure to like examine and explore um, what it means to love ourselves and, and come from that beginner's mind. Um, plus the, the, the avoidance of, of, of harming others physically or mentally, spiritually, emotionally. Um, I, I don't see any, uh, you know, challenges with, with someone practicing that and cultivating that for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in terms of the, um, you know, the medicines themselves, I'm curious, you know, I'm sure you've sat with a, with, with a, a spectrum, um, at one heart and other places, what makes an ayahuasca sit different to a mushroom sit? Yeah. So, um, what I've seen is, um, probably obviously length of time is number one, mm-hmm. um, which allows someone to dive in a lot deeper into their experience and, and, and explore and dig up um, memories or suppressed uh, thoughts um, to really work through them. So I think that's number one. Um, number two that I've seen is obviously the ingredients is DMT versus psilocybin um, is different in that um, different visuals and, 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 and maybe, um, fractals and visions will emerge. Um, I haven't had too much of a uh, visionary state on psilocybin mushrooms. Mm. There's definitely a more uh, bodily uh, feeling uh, that I get to experience with mushrooms. But with ayahuasca, it's it's could be, not all the time, could be a lot more uh, visual that I've seen. Uh, lastly, I would say is, I think, um, and this is just from my experience, I've seen a lot of different um traditions and how they approach ayahuasca that bleeds into different prayers different ikaros different songs um and music and vibrations that are that are that are created that give that kind of experience so uniquely different than a psilocybin mushroom journey um and then the last thing from from a indigenous perspective or kind of a spiritual perspective uh, mushrooms are seen as the, the children of the medicine so it's very playful um, maybe a, maybe quote lighter than something like ayahuasca, which is perceived as many have heard the mother or the grandmother. And so mm-hmm. sometimes I like to see that visual because um, you know the grandmother gives you tough love, uh, even if you're having a quote challenging experience. So to see it that way, um, I think could be very helpful. Whereas mushrooms, maybe our intentions could be more so to um, call in joy, to bring our mm-hmm. inner child out, and that could be very helpful that as well so those are some of the differences that i've that i've seen and experienced myself in, in different ceremonies no i love that um larry called it the the trickster that comes out on the mushrooms <laughs> i think that plays well with the with the, with the, chill, the child yeah, yeah exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, what's it mean um to study the psychedelic wave and shamanic fundamentals yeah so i, I, I see myself 
one foot into the Western psychedelic companies that are emerging and, and seeing how the political landscape shifts and all that. And then one foot in the indigenous wisdom and from, from practitioners and medicine men and women who have had their families pass down this, this lineage and learnings from them. And so it's such a blessed opportunity to see that. And a couple of things I'm noticing is just as I'm kind of watching this and just learning, listening, studying is, um, you know, from the Western science perspective, I think there's a lot of merit um, in what they're doing. And I think ultimately what it's doing is it's speaking a language that that civilization or that society resonates with. And if that is what will it will take to allow someone to feel safe and comfortable to enter into that psychedelic experience, then I think that's beautiful. And I say this because at the same time, there's been proof of maybe even thousands of years of this medicine already being practiced um, in indigenous cultures, underground, in the forests, and in the jungles that um, uh, very few accounts of, of people dying, um, but many accounts of people um, living, quote, their, their aligned life, their best lives, et cetera, et cetera, uh, has, has shown that. And so I think a lot of the indigenous wisdom um, boils down to something I, I, I've called natural versus normal. Um, so when I think about natural versus normal, I think about like um, strip away all of human-made technologies and advancements. And what do you have and what can we rely on as, as uh, to, to continually thrive and live? And when we, when we come from that perspective, we start to make different choices. Um, whereas normal is leveraging a lot of the beautiful human advancements that we have. But at the same time, imagine one day an apocalypse comes and that strips it all away. What are our choices that we can, that we can lean back on? And I think that a lot of the indigenous wisdom is focused essentially on the, on what's natural. Um, and that means, you know, when they say in the dieta, um, you know, what, what you can uh, consume or not, you start to realize a lot of the things that are probably not good for to consume before an ayahuasca ceremony are things that have been um, human advancements, right? You know, hard drugs or alcohol, um, whereas that wasn't there the case um, when, you know, predate hundreds or thousands of years ago. So as I'm just kind of in the middle watching both of that, what I can say is both sides have so much to learn and receive from one another, including the indigenous from the Western and from the what well, uh, from the indigenous to the Western as well. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think uh, I think there's a missed opportunity for all um, uh, conferences to invite both parties and, and and just have them be able to speak their perspectives. Um, you know, I've I've come to learn uh, and we hear it all the time uh, the concept of oneness and anything that creates divisiveness, I think could be a p- powerful distraction. And so um, the more we can just kind of bring both, uh, both perspectives in, uh, I think uh, some beautiful, um, beautiful uh, learnings will, will be had from, from both sides and ideally start to integrate uh, that more and more. So imagining the indigenous starting to create studies and just kind of mm-hmm. capture data. I think that'd be amazing. Uh, and, and, and that could uh, invite more Westerners into their, into their containers and ideally, the Western societies and, and, and companies and, 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 and scientists just start to sit in ceremonies just to learn these practices that have been passed down from generations to generations and, and find the wisdom, not to say that there's only one uh, book they have to learn from, but from their own experiences, find the wisdom that they receive and integrate that into uh, how they approach uh, continually building their companies or their studies, et cetera, et cetera. I just think uh, standing in both of these uh, worlds is so fascinating and, and, and it's an opportunity to um, step into each other's worlds 
and integrate that into each other each other's practices. Well said. Well said. Um, okay, I want to hit you with some some lightning round questions um, to to finish All off right. with. So, what piece of music takes you back to your childhood? Now, I'm conscious of the fact that at the top of the hour you uh, you mentioned this CD, so I'm very curious what was on this CD. But what one song really takes you back? song it's gotta be man there isn't something that immediately comes up but it's gotta be like okay no i do remember there's one song. uh <laughs> the reason by Huba stink was one of my oh. repeated songs on that cd so yeah Uba stink. wow the, the the lesser brother of brandon from uh incubus <laughs> yes specifically the song the reason wow i can't really remember that yeah yeah wow blast from the past um okay what book can everybody benefit from reading? Mm. Um, one I just finished that I really love is Loving What Is. Um, and uh, this is a beautiful inquiry question uh, that anyone can live with. Uh, another one is the one that we recommend everybody in one heart, which is The Surrender Experiment by Michael Singer. And uh, one of my all-time favorites is a book, Conversations uh, with God by mm. Neil Donald Walsh. Uh, what do you struggle with? Yeah, right now, um, still on a journey of cultivating deeper self-love, as we were just mentioning. And so I myself am going through that and constantly learning what does it mean to to give myself love and, and practice loving myself. And so that's just a continual deep inquiry and practice for myself right now. Why is your spirit animal an owl? <laughs> this was given to me Burning Man 2016, actually. Mm. Um, I was just going through a really tough time and decided to leave early um, from the burn. And someone uh, tapped my shoulder, asking me where I was going. Um, told him I was not feeling good, not enjoying it, not having a good time. And he asked if I wanted to sit down and talk about it. Um, by the end of that, and the next day we hung out, decided to postpone my, my, my departure. He gifted me an owl necklace, and I decided to wear that ever since. Um, for a couple years, um, uh, and uh, I specifically uh, remembered um, I attributed the owl necklace to an, a deep act of unconditional loving service, and so leveraging that kind of perspective and continually living with that understanding that has led me to just my life path, and so um, it also helped that my friends noticed owl qualities in me, especially in music settings when we were listening to DJs and. <laughs> Going out, I would just always be in the back corner, uh, dancing with myself and just observing and enjoying that and bobbing my head. So both from a physical attributes, but also the deeper understanding and meaning of service uh, that the owl was gifted to me has uh, really become a guiding uh, spirit animal for me. Nice, nice. Well, Tim, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you so much, Peter. Really, really appreciate it. Enjoyed it all. It's these conversations that highlight the emerging new world of psychedelics and allow us to speak to both the pioneers and the new age innovators shaping the current culture of this exciting space. In every episode, we hope to help you, the listeners, connect the dots and be a part of the conversation that is super psychedelic. If you like what you heard, you can rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening and see you next time.